Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another weekly roundup podcast here on Elections Daily. Uh, I'm Joe Smansky, once again here with Kraz Grinitz. Uh, once again, we are here to answer some of your questions that uh, I got sent on Twitter and to round up some of the big events uh, from the past week. And of course, the biggest event since we um, uh, last spoke, uh, Joe Biden is now officially uh, the 46th president of the United States. Uh, he and Kamala Harris, Harris were uh, both sworn in uh, last week, officially now. It's been two weeks now. It's been a week now. So uh, it, it has been officially a week now of the Joe Biden presidency. And along with that, we have seen some cabinet con uh, confirmations as well. Uh, four positions have been confirmed so far. Uh, the big one, of course, being today, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, was confirmed by, I believe, what has been the tightest vote so far uh, for an actual nomination. Uh, I believe that if, I think uh, it wasn't tighter than the defender in a, uh, the waiver for now uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin. Uh, but it, for the official confirmation, this was the tightest vote. Uh, Janet Yellen and uh, Lloyd Austin have also been confirmed, as well as the Director of National Intelligence, uh, as was considered to be uh, the position of most importance and was given first. Uh, that's kind of been the big thing that's happened this week. Nothing surprising. Uh, obviously, no surprise votes that any of these people were uh, not confirmed. Uh, none of them were particularly close. Uh, Everyone got 74 or more votes uh, when it came to their con confirmation. Uh, Kraz, I mean, I, you know, there's not much really to say about that, but, uh, you know, I, you know, you, you really have anything to say about, you know, what, 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 what kind of went down uh, in the state Senate this past week? Uh, well, not much, although I do think it's funny that um, there's probably going to be a lot less tied votes, I think, than we initially thought. I mean, people thought that Kamala Harris would be living in the Senate chamber. Um, it looks like that's probably not going to happen. It looks like what's probably going to happen is if Democrats have the votes except on incredibly controversial issues, they're going to get some uh, crossover votes. Um, uh, I know that there was some talk that, you know, the GOP would stand up to all of Biden's nominees. Um, it doesn't look like they're putting up much of a fight right now. We'll see when we get to like near a Tandon. But um, as of right now, it's you know, pretty smooth sailing for the incoming administration. Yeah, I mean, well, I think obviously you mentioned near a Tandon. Uh, that mm. that certainly does seem like a nomination uh, that could end up being very close. Uh, that could hinge on the vote of a Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin when it comes to that person, or it could be the Betsy DeVos of the Biden of the first Biden cabinet, uh, and would we see a fifty-fifty vote that will be broken uh, by the vice president? I think that seems mm. to be a likely scenario with the um, uh, Tandon nomination. Uh, obviously, mm. the two Senate seats in Georgia were big in making her confirmation all the more likely or else we'd probably be talking about her uh, potentially being rejected as a, mm -hmm. even, even, even moderates like Susan Collins and Mitt Romney uh, are not necessarily particularly fond of mm -hmm. uh, this Tandon. So that, that's probably the one to really watch in these next two or three weeks is will be um, a near a Tandon's confirmation to the OMB. Uh, that'll, that'll uh, certainly be the one I think to really watch. We don't really, I don't mm. think we really expect to be, a, a, and most of the other ones to be too controversial. Um, yeah. So uh, you want to dive into uh, some of the questions we got? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, so uh, we got the first question here from Trevor Webb. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he's got, I think he's got an interesting question for us both here. Uh, he says he's never really understood uh, Alaskan state politics. And he says, what's the history kind of the idea behind forming uh, these working coalitions, they haven't. Hmm. That's what he's. That's the question here. Um, 
So I can try to give it a, a go. I'm not an expert on Alaskan history um, or Alaskan politics, but basically my understanding is that the state's very isolated from the rest of the country um, and, you know, kind of pre-internet and, you know, pre-mass TV, this isolation led to a much more unique political culture than maybe there was in other states. Um, even today, you know, it's pretty separated in terms of politics. Their the sets of issues are very different um, given the state's economy and kind of geography. Um, and also uh, given that it's a heavily rural state, um, you know, really, really, really heavily rural um, in some parts of the state, um, a lot of constituents rely on uh, federal funding, state funding, um, constituent services. Um, and so it's just a little bit different. Um, it's not as partisan. It's not as, um, you know, straight ticket as maybe some other states. Um, so I think basically um, just because of its isolation, its location um, and the nature of its economy, it's developed a very unique political culture. Yeah, I think I think you've probably hit the nail on the head there. Uh, Alaska's like you like you said, Alaska's uh, general ruralness combined with uh, a very you know uh, an urban base in Anchorage. Really, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're really even even the capital Juneau isn't really uh, that much of an urban you know city. It's only got like forty thousand people maybe uh, in it compared to you know Anchorage, which has over a hundred thousand. You know, uh, it's it's just made some for some very interesting ways, and I think, you know, party label matters only to get elected. Uh, these coalitions matter to how people govern, and you know, I think that's really kind of the big difference here uh, when it comes to Alaska, is that you know it, it, the party matters to get you elected, but the coalitions matter to you getting <laughs> stuff done uh, for for your party uh, and for your not for your party, excuse me, for your constituents. Uh, obviously, it, what we've heard is that the Republicans uh, do have a working majority in the state Senate. I, mm. believe, I haven't heard anything about the state House. I think that's still kind of up in the air, uh, very much so. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the state House in Alaska uh, for the last couple of cycles now. That's been a bit of a mess uh, when it comes to the coalition there. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens. Uh, that's certainly a, a little side story to watch. Uh, in in the general birth of our electoral politics. Yeah. Um, okay. So you want to take a look at take a crack at the second one? Um, uh, yes, from Justin Lucas, and I think this is one that we can both answer pretty easily, right? Right now. Uh, ex- please explain why North Carolina is not Georgia. And, uh, and he also asked in a follow up: Is Jeff Jackson a silver bullet to Democrats' Tar Heel State problems? Okay, so uh, to answer the first one, because I've done a lot of writing about this, um, there are a couple of reasons why North Carolina has been a harder nut to crack for Democrats than Georgia, um, despite them trying for longer in North Carolina. The first reason is that it's 11% whiter. Um, so it's just, it's more white, um, you know, and that's going to be hard for Democrats, hard hill for Democrats to climb. Um, the, there is not one big urban area. So there are a bunch of smaller urban areas um, and these small urban areas have a lot of the population of the state, which is good for Democrats, but small urban areas means smaller, less dense suburbs. That means redder suburbs. That's why you have precincts that are voting for Trump by 15 points right next to downtown Charlotte, um, whereas that would be you know, almost inconceivable um, in Atlanta, apart from a few precincts and maybe Buckhead. Um, but mostly that would be almost unheard of. So every single metro area um, is just slightly redder. So what happens is the sum of all the metro areas is redder than it probably would be if it was one ginormous metro area. Um, so that's tougher Democrats. It's tougher to organize when your voters are spread across a bunch of different cities as opposed to in one giant one. 
Um, so you've got geography as a problem, you've got it's wider, and also the growth is less one-sided. So, you know, in Georgia, you've got Atlanta growing all the time, <laughs> making up a bigger and bigger percentage of the statewide votes. And uh, in that case, you know, the growth is pretty one-sided. South Georgia is shrinking, North Georgia is growing, but not nearly as fast. But in North Carolina, you've got heavily African-American rural areas bleeding population incredibly quickly up in the northwest part or northeast part of the state. Um, then on top of that, you've got heavily GOP counties like Randolph, Erdl, um, Brunswick, et cetera, adding population rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. And that essentially means that the growth in a lot of these blue cities is being canceled out by growth in older red coastal communities and some also red exurbs. So the growth is less one-sided, it's a wider state and they have smaller metro areas. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of been, you know, we've, we've, we've written multiple articles about this. We've talked about this on multiple shows. You know, North Carolina is just, it's because of that. I, it's kind of this Florida effect to a certain extent of, you know, older white retirees, you know, coming to some certain areas of the state uh, that has kind of turned certain counties, you know, from, you know, slightly red to toss up status to, you know, yeah, suddenly these very deeply red states, which is very much canceling out. You know, like in Florida, where you've got some canceling effects on the coast, canceling out effects in places like Orlando and Duval, you know, you're seeing that in North Carolina canceling out effects in places like Charlotte and Raleigh. You know, uh, even though the Charlotte and Raleigh suburbs are not as red as they used to be uh, to bring Republicans over the line, you know, some mm-hmm. of those coastal towns and even East, you know, East Carolina towns that didn't used to be as red or, you know, slightly blue or toss-ups, you know, purple counties are becoming deeper and deeper red. Uh, you know, that's kind of just become the, the main issue here uh, for, mm-hmm. for, for the Democrats in that state. It's not certainly not a state that they cannot ever win, mm-hmm. uh, but also it is kind of like Florida to a certain extent uh, in which it kind of has this, has continued to, and is going to kind of continue to have, at least for the next decade, this kind of always lean R tint mm-hmm. uh, to it. You know, yep. tilt R, so not really a lean R, but tilt R tint to it. Uh, that, that, you know, kind of means the Democrats need to do more than just necessarily put up a candidate and then organize their voters like they were able to do in, you know, Georgia or Virginia, you know, they mm-hmm. actually need to find the right candidate. You know, uh, Justin, of course, mentioned uh, Jackson. You know, I don't know if he is, you know, ja- well, Jackson seems like, you know, you know, people, you know, Virginia, you know, the North Carolina GOP already today, you know, started calling him Cal Jr. in reference to Cal Cunningham. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Jackson is also a more liberal state senator from Charlotte, you know, and whether, you know, he can transform that to a general election, especially against Mark Walker, uh, who I, I think for all things considered should be considered, you know, the GOP favorite right now. Uh, you know, I don't know if that'll be easy for him necessarily. You know, Walker has done a good job in the Greensboro area. Uh, and kind of in that Greensboro Raleigh area. And if he does well in that area, even if Jackson were to overperform to Roy Cooper margins in Charlotte, you know, if, if, you know, Walker does marginally better in the Greensboro and Raleigh area and kind of hits close to Trump numbers in mm-hmm. the East and the West, you know, Jackson's not going to be, not going to be in good for a good time. That's just kind of the honest reality of situation. He's certainly not this transcendent candidate. He's not a bad candidate. Uh, by any means, in my opinion, but he's certainly not this, you know, Roy Cooper type of transcendent candidate who's going to be able, you know, to knock off 
you know, a, 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 in my opinion, again, a Mark Walker, who would be a good Republican nominee for the state. Yeah, I mean, also, I just think, and this feels like it's two years too late, right? You know, yeah. he would have been, I think, a very solid candidate in 2020, but he passed it up for Kyle Cunningham, who spent months getting his name recognition up, and then it all bubble burst with one scandal. Um, so now, yeah, yeah, Jeff Jackson coming in, but 2022 is probably going to be a tough year in a tough state, um, and potentially a good GOP candidate. It just feels like, um, like it's two years too late. Um, yeah. And so, I, I don't know. I, I, he's definitely not a silver bullet. I mean, he's a solid candidate, but... You know, realistically, their bench in North Carolina just isn't that deep anyway. Um, so it's not a bad candidate, uh, especially given that. But realistically, yeah, I, I don't. I think it's an uphill climb for him. Yeah, and then our final question of the day, Kraz. This is kind of an interesting question that started to come up. Uh, there's been talk of New Hampshire adapting an electoral system uh, mm-hmm. that's similar to Maine's, in which is you know. Uh, uh, electoral votes can be allocated by uh, congressional districts, which means there would be two statewide electoral votes, but then a electoral vote for each of the two congressional districts. Uh, that has uh, recently started to benefit Republicans a little bit more uh, due to the second, the northern second district in Maine uh, shifting decently to the right uh, in the past decade, uh, especially in the Trump era uh, too, but even even in general. Uh, you know, uh, that second district has shifted quite right in the north. Uh, and then you have, you know, there's been talk of New Hampshire, of course, uh, in the idea, can you know, can a decently enough Republican district uh, be drawn in New Hampshire? Uh, the answer mm-hmm. to that is not a solid Republican district. A, a decently Republican one can be drawn, but a solidly Republican run, which, you know, will always vote for Republican, uh, seems pretty unlikely. Uh, it's hard to do in New Hampshire too, which is quite an inelastic, which is quite, <laughs> has shown to be rather elastic uh, in the 2010s uh, with uh, rapid shifts uh, each way to certain races. So I uh, am interested to hear your opinion on this, but you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. I mean, if you're really, if you're really gerrymandering hard, um, you can probably draw a pretty solidly Republican district. Um, the thing is, I don't really get this play, right? Like they're, they're giving them one extra electoral vote or themselves an extra electoral vote potentially if they can draw a district that's red enough, but you're also limiting yourself to one less electoral vote if you can start winning the state federally. Um, and on top of that, um, you, uh, you're, you're passing this, it might end up being a nasty partisan fight um, just for one extra electoral vote. I don't know. It seems like a weird, a weird play to me personally. Um, but that's just my opinion. It seems very odd. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they know something I don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously like the one of the more, again, maybe an underlooked, but still shocking, uh, event that happened this election cycle was a Republican flipping both the New Hampshire Senate and house mm-hmm. as Chris and Nunu have shown to apparently have incredible coattails that no one really expected them to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that happened. And uh, now we, New Hampshire's kind of in the situation where I don't really know they expected to be in, uh, where they have this sudden working majority. Uh, again, I don't really think anyone particularly expected that, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is fair. Uh, that was, again, one of the more shocking uh, <laughs> excuse me, results on election night was, the, was that major shift. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that part is very much true. 
Uh, I'm kind of with Kraz here on this one, which I kind of think this is not necessarily a necessary move. Again, mm -hmm. New Hampshire is very elastic. Uh, all parts of the state can sometimes swing very rapidly depending on the candidate in the race. Uh, even in the same year, as we saw this year with the Senate, the presidential, and uh, the gubernatorial race all having three very different margins. Uh, you know, so I think you would kind of, I don't know, if, I don't know if the move would really be the best bet. And I think I'm with you here on this one, Crash. I don't really mm -hmm. think the news that that move would really be the best bet to, to accurately do something. I would think, you know, and I don't even know if Governor Sununu would sign something like that, you know, knowing the position he's in right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It seems, it seems very odd. Um, you got any uh, clothing, closing thoughts here? Uh, yeah, you know, I just think that, you know, we're kind of now kind of in this lull potentially, I think, for the next two weeks. Uh, you know, we might not be. Uh, obviously, we are all praying for Senator Patrick Leahy's health tonight. Uh, we're recording mm. this on Tuesday night. This might not be released until Wednesday morning. Uh, but we're recording this on Tuesday night. And of course, we're all praying for Senator Leahy's continued health. Uh, but if something were to happen there, that would uh, pretty clearly shift the dramatics of this country and its balance of power uh, quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what I think we're going to see a lot of is the Senate kind of confirming how they're going to work. And we're going to see confirmations these next two weeks. And, you know, kind of once we reach past those two weeks and we kind of start to hit towards... I, I would almost, you know, just to be maybe make a reference here, you know, once we hit past the Super Bowl, you know, then that's when we're mm -hmm. going to start to see things turn up. We're starting to see candidates declare earlier and earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that in North Carolina already. Uh, the fact that Walker and Jackson are already in, you know, a year and a half before they will probably even have their primary day, you know, yep. says something about kind of yeah. what they're going down to right now. Well, they're trying, they're, you know, it's like Fetterman, right? They're trying to raise a bunch of money, um, you know, to push everyone out so they can- yeah, And Fetterman, yeah. to, to a credit to Fetterman. So this is clearly not going to be like when it was after Obama's election or even even after Trump's election, mm -hmm. where we saw some candidates wait, you know, we're, we're going to get right into 2022 here. Yeah. It seems rather quickly, at least in some of these swing states uh, among some parties. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the closing thoughts here. You know, we might be maybe a, two weeks of peace, and then I think we're really going to start to see the flashbangs again. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting things to pick up very quickly as we get into spring and summer uh, 20, 2021 uh, for the 2022 cycle. So we'll see. Um, yeah, it was good, good to have you on today. So uh, we should be back next week at our normally scheduled uh, time. Yes. Um, yeah, we hope everyone stays uh, healthy and safe. Have a good Thank one. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good day.